In the words of Ryan Morano, a space can never be blunk. Blunk. I just want some wine. <laughs> Start again. A space can never be blank, dull, or void. Especially when talking to Bridget LeMay. Ah. Sorry. Um, Bridget LeMay, who is the author of this week's chapter. Now, to give a bit of a blurb, Bridget LeMay is the creative director of Blank Space Productions. She most recently directed Alone Outside for the Maiden Voyage Theatre Company at the Perth Fringe World Festival 2017, which was nominated for the Martin Sims Award. She also directed last year Fear of Merging for the Cutting Room Floor's Home Open program. I highly recommend people giving the Cutting Room Floor a Google. They're, I think, a wonderful uh, company that gives wonderful opportunities, especially now because they're now partnering up with the Blue Room Theatre Playgroup. Bridget has also provided a detailed focus on transformation in her 2014 short film, Sunday, which won a number of awards, including Best Actress at the New York City Picture Start Film Festival and Best Director, Best Film, Best Actress and the Audience Choice Award at Sydney's Best in the West Film Festival. She was nominated for Best Emerging Director at Post Alley Film Festival in Seattle and was an invited speaker during Seen and Heard Film Festival at the Australian Centre for Moving Image in Melbourne. But most importantly, because that's how I first met and interacted with Bridget, was when she and her team at Blank Space Productions started the immersive theatrical experience that is EDGE which brought fresh and experienced writers' work to democratic life at the Chrissy Parrott Arts Arts Space last year. Bridget, welcome. Hello. You are originally from Perth, WA. Why did you travel to the Far East? I had no plans on travelling or returning home, I guess. I, I left Perth as a young person to just get out of my hometown. I moved to Melbourne and I didn't enjoy Melbourne or more I kind of fell into the same patterns that I had been in in Perth in Melbourne. So I moved to Newcastle which was also accidental. I was just traveling and that's where I found some people I really enjoyed and an art scene that I really liked. And after basically working with a performance slash circus troupe there I um, I decided to audition for drama school and um, I had always been in theatre all throughout school but I'd kind of taken a few years off mm. and um, I, I got into Actor Centre so I went to Sydney from Newcastle. So I was just east already. Actor Centre, it didn't... I don't want to talk about celebrity and, and all that but Hugh Jackman went there, didn't he? He did. I, that... I, I'm pretty sure I he went somewhere. there when... The course was not a full-time course yet, but they were just starting to become quite serious. And from what he, from I, what I have heard of Hugh, he was really inspired by his work there mm. and then became a patron and helped them grow the full-time course. Mm. Yeah. I'm very curious, what made you be attracted to theatre? I don't think I really had a choice. I was performing f- from, you know... Three, I think. I was always one of those kids that would go away for a few hours, put create a show, and then put it on for all my family and friends, and 
anyone who would give me the time of day to watch it. So it's always been in me, and um, I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't feel like it's something I choose. I just choose not to stop it because you do have to actively continue. Yeah, you have to feel. I feel like. So where do you feel now? Do you? Because I think it is important to. I've got this thought in my head that I think working in the theatre and in the arts, it's a practice. Like I sort of compare it to. Uh, a doctor's practice you have to keep practicing medicine you have to keep practicing you know sharpening your skills we're just talking before about the importance of um, just saying about voice and it's really true and I had this idea the other day well when I mean the other day I mean a couple of weeks ago when I was talking to Elise no was it Elise oh no someone sorry Ryan's not happy today um <laughs> Ryan's very distorted because he's now in Fremantle and, and I live in the northern hemisphere of WA, and when I go to <laughs> the southern, south of the river, being south of the river, something in the water, there's something I don't feel right. But I should feel right because a lot of my family live here. Maybe that's why I live up north. Anyway, um, <laughs> I think there should be like an acting gym. Mm. Do, do you know? Do, yeah, I think about it all the time. Well, I like I'll, I'd love if I had the money and resources, I'd buy an old warehouse. And I'd get all these guest lectures, or anyone, or could be like, um, sort of styled in the actor's studio in New York with Lee Strasberg. You know, we'd have like, instead of, we'll have yoga, and then we'll have like voice warm-ups, and you know. For people, the reason why I bring up this acting gym idea was because I was listening to this podcast, and it was done by this Whopper graduate who did the acting course. And he interviewed like Chris Edmund, Donald Woodburn, uh, the, the, the head, who's the the voice, uh, voice, main voice lecturer at Whopper now, and he was talking to Chris Edmund, and Chris Edmund's advice was, well, yeah, you've graduated acting, but the key now is to keep up those skills, to keep up the training, to keep warming up, to keep exercising. Mm. Very important. Another question. In regards to artistry, would you consider Perth to be a home or a hotel? Oh, it's a really tricky question and it's not necessarily about artistry that makes it tricky to answer. I love being in Perth and I think the emerging art world in Perth is incredibly vibrant and incredibly supportive. It's one of the most um, exciting theatre spaces I have been in, like the city in general, mm. and there's a lot going on here and I am really happy to be here and to stay, but I... Um, in a relationship which I adore with a person who I really like and mm. that person lives in Melbourne and mm. it is not unlikely that at some point I will make a transition there um, because when you have someone really special in your life it is nice to be close to them mm. but I don't think that that makes Perth less of a home it just makes it more of a question how do I navigate those two really important parts of my life and what does each space have to offer me and I, I don't know the answer to that question, but I'm very, very happy here. And I think a lot of people should really open their eyes to what's going on in Perth because there's exciting, different and, and really good thinkers here. People doing things that are new mm. and things that are pushing themselves. And I, I, I think it's worth watching out what we're creating as an emerging arts scene just in general. I totally agree. Like last night, for example, last night, um, the PVI Collective uh, did the... It was a show called uh, Kiss, but it was a collection of all these artists. I, I couldn't see it because I was watching um, the solo stage 
at WAPA, the second year's uh, BPA course doing their stuff there, which was great. And I think, I think you actually, you hit the nail on the head. There's so much diversity. And I think, it was not also a problem, but I feel like the comp, the, I don't, I don't like using the word competition, but people who you are working with are experienced, passionate, well-traveled, diverse, so I think it does make it, I know it's an it's, it's, it's interesting complex where it is very hard where you've got these, I have to say, on a side note, even with our GST cut, the funding, whatnot, blah, 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 there are still some of these amazing opportunities provided by the Blue Room Theatre. Um, but you've got this wonderful competition who are brilliant, and I dare say even more brilliant than over east, but I can't say, I'm biased, I've never been to uh, Sydney. Well, actually I have, but no, not for um, theatrical business. So from my research, there's a lot of film in your career. Is there much room of theatre as well? Because I know you are a theatre practitioner, but I'm, I'm just interested, what's the relationship, the creative relationship between your film, Sunday, and, and theatre, like alone outside? I, I decided to make a film straight after drama school, and I was really driven specifically to make film. I feel like... Um, drama school brought up a lot of things for me and I, I kind of needed a little bit of distance from firstly acting and secondly theatre. So I did make a film but uh, after I'd made it I was really burnt out by the process. It's a really gruelling and specific process at times and the amount of time you spend with actors is maybe less than a percent of the total time spent on the production. It's very computer-based, it's very research-based, it's very image-based, it's very meetings-based. And I decided after Sunday, against all advice, to move back into theatre because where I really enjoy my practice and feel I am at my best is when I'm in a room full of people and navigating something together. And, and so I've made the active choice to move to theatre. I will make more films, but I need the space, the time, and a little bit more funding before I'm really prepared to do it. And so here I am. Theatre World is where I'll be for the next few years, and I, I won't be starting to think about making another film until, until I'm good and ready, really, because it'll need to be good. Yeah. Have, have you just been like sitting outside and just having ideas of films? I don't know, just... No, that's not how my life works. <laughs> I am, in order to have as much time to dedicate to theatre as I do, I have two other businesses mm. so that I can uh, afford to take time off when I need to... Um, when I need to take time off to be in rehearsal rooms and to be in development and grant applications. So I work around the clock and often I have ideas inspired by the thoughts or the work or the ideas of other people and it's always a springboard. Nothing I make is essentially new, I don't think. I think generally I explore topics that I'm intensely inspired by and, you know, I, I take as much from other people as I can. Do you think the wheel has been invented in terms of arts? Do you think we're just retelling stories? I oh, know, I'm just like giving... Mm. I, I, like, do you, like, there's like, you do hear these theories about like how music, all, all music is composed. 
And then you've got people who are just reinventing, rediscovering and readapting work. I think it's a constant growing. I really believe that all of the technology and ideas that we have are really a culmination of accepting what somebody has done before us and then adding something to it. You can't get the iPhone without the computer that takes a mm. room to play Jingle Bells in terms of how large and, and heavy and you know structural that was. Now we can fit a thousand times more power into the palm of our hands. And I feel like all areas of thought are like that. You know, Pythagoras invented maths yeah. that now leads us to understand more about the stars and more about, you know, more about things that he could never have have reached. So I think it's a cumulative. Speaking about Pythagoras, I was reading, um, I was reading this very interesting, one of my uh, graduation presents was a, uh, a philosophy book of thousand and one ideas that uh, humankind have thought. And it's, it goes from like, you know, the Stone Age till now, basically. And they're talking about Pythagoras. And he's a really interesting guy because he really believed that mathematics, like he constructed mathematics in a way of, in terms of a religion. Like you said, in order to become a part of my society, you need to, obviously maths is the important goal, but also becoming a vegetarian. And it's just the idea, and basically the idea was he first introduced apparently um, being a vegetarian and veganism. Yeah, I don't know, it's just... Just an interesting side thought. I mean, I guess into his particular culture, again, not a new idea, but an idea that other cultures are having worlds apart from each other. But yeah, he was a very forward thinking human. And yeah, I have been inspired by him. I'm very nerdy, actually. I, I like maths and especially physics. And um, yeah, hope to be making a work about physics in the coming, in the coming times. So I'm having a lot of fun nerding out and reading and listening to, to physics world things at the moment. What, what interests you in physics? I think it's a comprehensive understanding of our world. I mean, how can we sit here? What, why does the system that our world exists in exist? How has it been created? I mean, I'm not a religious person and physics is totally the closest that I can come to reverie mm. about what fits our world together and what makes us who we are. I think it's really exciting. Are there any particular like popular speakers of physics? Like you, um, I, no, I can't, I can't reference him. He's not, uh, not Neil deGrasse Tyson. He's not physics. Like, yeah, he is a physicist. Is he? Yeah, oh, yeah, good. I, thought, right. I, like, I was thinking about Stephen Hawking, but you know. He's an astrophysicist. Ah. Um, and he is, you know, probably America's most Famous, mm. famous, famous physicist. <laughs> Say physicist and famous together too many times, you get famous. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I also listen to the Infinite Monkey Cage a lot, and I really enjoy that podcast. Mm. It's good. Just a weird one. I don't know. Because I was typing up. See, I was hoping to hit these. I've got these key questions. Yeah. But I don't know. It's it's. Oh, anyway. Do you embrace aging? I love aging. In fact, oh, good. <laughs> yeah, I, I recently turned thirty, and hilariously, no. the day before my thirtieth birthday, I was on holiday in Margaret River. I never go on holiday. This is the first holiday I've given myself in years. In fact, last year I think I only had four days off in a row. It was my maximum amount of time 
off. So like a holiday for me is exceptional and I had all these activities and things that I wanted to fit in. And the day before my birthday, I hopped out of bed, put my foot on the floor and sprained the entire top of my foot, like sprained all the tendons on top of my foot from doing nothing. And so I woke up on the morning of my 30th birthday with like <laughs> a completely um, like incapacitated kind of sore body that <laughs> didn't want to cooperate. And it was ironic, but I kind of enjoyed it. And I had to slow down and, you know, change a few things, eat a bit more cheese. Yeah. But I really am excited by getting older and I really like the discipline of having to look after your body as it breaks. Yes. And, you know, my body's not particularly breaking yet, but I do have a few injuries from when I was a younger person that I have to constantly look after and it's, I like it. It's cool. I really like you had discipline. Because there is a structure, like, I feel like as you get older, like, if you're, like, taking medication, there's a specific time and organisation to keep you alive. That fascinates me. Mm. Being detailed and disciplined and planning. Wow. So that's, that's, that's a wonderful word, discipline. I also am really intrigued by the transition that you need to make mentally when your body can no longer do the things that keep you good. You know, I'm a very visual person. If I lose my eyesight at some point, even to a certain level, that's going to be so challenging for me. So how do I change the way I think to keep myself engaged while my body fails me? Hmm. And if I can no longer move my body or if I need help to move my body at some point, that, again, that's a real transition. And what do you do with your pride? And what do you do with your ego? And what do you do with your, you know, gr gratitude? And... You know, how do you shift your intellect and intelligence from doing things that you could actively participate in to then um, shifting to observation or, or inward calculation of things? You know, how do you keep engaged? And I'm intrigued to see what that will be like for me, even though I hope it's a long time in the future. Could you do without hearing? I, I think I would be more comfortable losing my hearing than I would be losing my sight. But... I don't wish for any of it. I think, yeah, you definitely need all your senses. Well, That's I don't know if you do need them. A lot of people don't have them and they, uh, you know, have wonderful rich lives that mean a lot to a lot of people. So I, I think it's a transition and I think we're very lucky not to have to think about these things in our day-to-day -day existence. Sorry, this is, as you know, Ryan is, this, we're, Ryan is in the south of the river and I don't know, I think there's something to do with the magnetic poles. I'm closer to the southern <laughs> magnetic pole. And these key questions I've written are in no particular order, which I should have done, but anyway. Now, this next question. <laughs> why am I prefacing this, prefacing this question? Because you can edit it out. I can, but see, there's a part of me is like, oh, oh, yeah, that's right, you can. So I thought, fuck it, just fuck it. There, there was a part of me, I remember when I did the first episode where, uh, with Sam, and that was like a, an hour and 40 minutes. And there's a part of me saying, oh, fuck it, <laughs> just put it all on, on, on iTunes. And, but I thought, no, no, there, there is a certain responsibility. But it made me thought, think of something. It's very funny how when editing this, there's, I've got a conscious mind that I am making, there's a pro we're making a product in all of this. And I'm trying to make this this as we speak, as we breathe, as we have our own peculiar, 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 
um, pecu- peculiarities. Thank you. And habits, that's the word, habits, it sort of goes out of the window and we have to sort of create this polished, refined, easy listening thingy-madoo, this, this podcast. Mm. And I like that there's, a, there's an argument as an artist where I want this to sound natural, but then at the end of the day, well, if it sounds natural, it's going to take two hours for people to listen. There also is, I think, a bit of generosity in giving, giving an audience what they need to appreciate something. If we speak over each other all the time, which people do naturally in conversation, and it's a part of how we communicate, mm. and I think a really nice thing. It's not going to be clear or easy to understand the conversation we're actually having. So it takes a certain amount of skill to just leave space for a third party who's not here. I think it's important. Hmm. Ah, that's right. Have you had the chance of bumping into some of Perth's veteran artists? Yes. That is good to hear. You know why that is good to hear? <laughs> Sorry. No, um, the two episodes that are... So I recently interviewed at Glen Hayden... Um, this wonderful, wonderful veteran uh, director, and also I had the great fortune of uh, interviewing my very one of my first directors, Helly Turner, the the writer and oh the play oh she's just absolutely wonderful. Glenn, in his interview, he raised the subject of there's not much of a community, an artistic community with the young and the old. He feels there's there's quite a there's a bit of ageism, which is it's quite shocking because well I'm a young man, but I'm like wow, age, ageism in the arts industry. And also, Helly Turner, she also agreed with Glenn's point. Do you feel, where do you feel like, I don't know, do you feel like you could go to like any old bar and you'll see like an old actor or, and, and you can mingle? Or, I feel like what they're trying to say is there's this sense of when you're established, you're in your own group. And that's where you tend to find the old actors because they're established and they've done the hard yards and they're at the State Theatre Centre. And then you've got the young people who are emerging and learning their craft. And they hung out at, you know, different places. I don't know, I just, I, I feel like there's a problem. The link's been cut. Because he was saying back in the 80s, they'd have these parties, especially when the Blue Room was first happening, where the young and old would mix. I don't feel any real divide in talking to, you know, the older practitioners in our community at all. And I feel really welcomed by the community as a whole. But I don't necessarily feel that there is an easy permission to mm. make art across the the ages because of how established artists are. If I have an idea at the moment, we are searching for funding every time. And I can ask whoever I like to come on board and be involved. But generally, the most enthusiastic people are people who are in a very similar position to me. They have mm. a fire in their bellies and their lives are not ones where they necessarily have a great deal of costs and have to make an income and have to have their hours paid so that they can keep their lives running. And I think once you get to a certain age, that's a requirement and you don't necessarily have all the time in the world to to work on an emerging project for not quite as much money with establishing artists who are on their way. I don't think it's necessarily an ideological gap where, you know, we don't want to work with people who are older than us or the people that are older than us don't want to work with, you know, young people or people a little bit younger than me. I feel like I'm kind of a lot of the emerging artists that I work with are about five years younger than me at the moment. But 
I, I just think there are challenges. And I, I also think that when you're really new in a theatre scene, you don't always feel completely comfortable going to someone who's been here for 20 years and saying, come and act in my thing. Mm. We'll do a co-op. But, you know, maybe that's wrong. Maybe we should all just ask everybody who we want to work on everything, regardless of who they are, and see what they say, which is generally what I do, <laughs> if I'm being honest. But it, it's, it's something to navigate, and I don't know the answer. Mm. But they're all my thoughts on the topic. Yeah, no, absolutely. I just feel like I, I just had this thought in my head. So one of the people that I want to, like Glenn has re um, referenced me to in Heli Turner, there's this gentleman called Ivan King. And he runs the WA Theatre Museum at His Majesty's Theatre downstage, you see. And there's... Have you met Ivan King? No, but I have been in have that been space. There? Yeah, because the the, um, the site-specific work that Walter yes. did last year, Memory Bones, yes. they had a performance. Yeah. Kylie did? Yes, yeah, yeah. In that Kylie room. Marie. Yeah, and I, I really... I was really engaged by that performance. So I also work in museum environments. So I really had my ears pricked up when I was in there. That, I really love Memory Bones and especially that particular part of the performance. Because you're all cramped, basically. And there's so much artifacts and, and, and potential treasure in that room. What was I going to say? Oh, God. I think we should have a party at His Majesty's Theatre. At downstage, the oldies and the youngies. <laughs> I don't know, that's my thought now. I'd be there. Yeah? I'd be there, but you'll have to get permission it. to... Yeah, I'll, well, I'll chat to Ivan and see if he's interested, if he can open the museum just to, like, midnight. <laughs> You're not going to get a party in a museum. Do you know how preciously... Preciously? They, they, oh, yes. We'll have to choose a different room. I mean, look, I, it's, what I do for part of my, my work is mm. to install and deinstall shows and it's my job to handle objects. And <laughs> <laughs> there's no way I'd let you have a party in a museum. We, could uh, we choose a different room? It could be quite refined. Um, have at the stage at His Majesty's Theatre. I think that would be much That'd better. Be nice. You can put a glass down anywhere there. Yeah. I, uh, don't put a glass down on a showcase. I'll have a fit. Oh, oh, you know, it's really, that's a really interesting building. I don't know why I'm bringing... Because I remember many, many, many years ago, I was up for a job interview. Don't know how I got it or why. I was. I wanted to... <laughs> I emailed all the major theatre companies. This is when I was very young. I think I must have been 18. And I managed to get an interview with the WA Ballet Company. And they and back then, they were stationed at um, His Majesty's Theatre. They had the major office there. And I think they were, they were looking for an administrative assistant. Anyway, it, I didn't get the job, obviously, because they, they weren't looking for a person like me. Uh, but, but plus, I got to speak to the general manager of the WA Ballet Company, which is wonderful. But the backstage of His Majesty's Theatre is massive. And huge, and you've got all these pictures of previous shows, and the and the highlight of one of those pictures was seeing McKellen and Roger Rees when they're at His Majesty's Theatre doing Waiting for Godot. Did you see that Waiting for Godot production? I didn't see the production, no. <sighs> Although someone was telling me about it the other day, just randomly. It was just, and see, you know, why it's an interesting performance. Okay, yes, uh, Samuel Beckett, Waiting for Godot is brilliant. It's a classic, obviously. And it's interesting because it historically it had a rough start, a rough start. Like when he wrote it in French originally, 
it was somewhat of a success in France, but when it um, premiered in English, in England, it was a flop. Now it's sort of become the masterpiece that it is now. But it's so interesting, because Ian McCann was playing the character Estragon, and he's first to go on stage. And when I was very young, I was thinking, fuck, this, this, this well-known actor, who's you know, known for Gandalf, he, he enters the stage as Estragon in character, I think he has a limp or something. And there's this a massive round of applause, and he hasn't done anything yet, Ian McKellen. This massive, like, almost a standing ovation, just because Ian McKellen is there performing. And I'm thinking, far out, how, how, could, how could one handle that applause, you know? But he continued on, like he just ignored it, which I found that fascinating. Ignoring that immense wave of love and support and... Just being, it was an absolute audience filled with fans. Mm, that is a real challenge to stay focused in that very, very strong emotion. I, I don't know, I guess when, when you have that much experience and the focus and dedication that has got him to that point of earning that applause, it probably keeps him in good stead. But that's a, that's a real challenge. I'm interested in the, the reason why I bring it up. I'm interested in the many realities that we play. So obviously you're doing a show and you're Bridget LeMay directing the show, performing in the show. Then you're also the character. I don't know, I just find that when you're, when you're practicing in this sort of industry, this community, there are many realities that you're commenting on. I am the actor, I am the director, I am the writer. Or when the show goes on, that's another world. Oh, I, just, I just find that, and that's, that, yeah, that's why I like doing it. I'm just curious of exploring those, how far can you get, you know, how far can you um, explore? What, what can you get out of for when you dedicated your life and many years to um, treading those realities? I think it's different for all of us. Do you find like you're separate? In, di in different roles? When you go on stage, when you're performing, do you feel like I'm no longer Bridget LeMay, I am X character? I, I don't know. think that there's a fluidity to that. I mean, if you lose Bridget LeMay entirely and you're a character, then you're a wild cannon. And, you know, if you're entirely character and that character has impulse and their own thought and their own drive, well, then you really could do anything. And I don't think you're any longer safe. I think the actor has to remain present and can't completely lose themselves if they have the ability to do that. And I think to navigate that balance well is what the really, you know, wonderful actors of our times do. And a lot of people are just amazing at finding that balance. But yeah, I think part of you is often present and mm. part of you is entirely the character. It's probably how it should be. And that brings us to Edge. One of my favourite works last year was you've got Bridget was directing and curating it and you're presenting it and then you had your actors there. You had sometimes the writer was in the room. What made you start to create Edge? Well, I was inspired to make a collaborative and responsive work, so made live in a room, from reading an application criteria I was just reading through <laughs> I was just reading through a bunch of criteria on an application form and I thought you know what would it be like if we got given a scene and had two hours to make it brilliant and the audience was a part of that which is almost a very 
I think self-absorbed idea but an interesting one but really you know the reason why audience aren't invited to process is because process is often really chunky and mm. quite boring at times I don't find it boring but I do think <laughs> for an audience there's a lot of uh, a lot of just stuff to get through so the idea developed from there and eventually it became about exploring forms collaboratively mm. so taking your your cast your writer your director and then an audience and applying different theatrical forms to just one short script multiple times in the night and also allowing your audience to really affect the direction that the script goes in and and how it's interpreted and really handing over the power of that decision making to the room um, whilst guiding them through the possibilities of what you could do with just one text. And seeing that text being played out multiple occasions, because originally when I thought, I, you know, to be sceptical, I thought, this is not going to fucking work, watching the same scene over and over again. But how, how, how fucking dead wrong I was, because I just loved it and enjoyed it, and how... The wonderful thing about Edge was it created this wonderful atmosphere with the audience when they get to participate in the work, and they get to invest themselves a lot, you know? It's magic. It, there were nights where I felt the audience were really joined as a group as mm. well. And when you get an entire room of people really working together to make something interesting or push something too far or, you know, or to its edges of itself. Uh, I can't believe I just said the word edge about edge. But, I mean, it was a well-chosen title, I think, in the end. It, it really feels uh, tingly and alive when... All the minds are, are together. And it also feels like a performance. It didn't necessarily feel like uh, a workshop, which I, I thought it could at some, some mm. stages, but it really felt like the audience just dug their teeth in to what the show was. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Just, just, just removing all the flashbacks <laughs> of my wonderful... Oh, God. <laughs> There's one thing I regret because I remember, and oh no, I'm not going to say it. I'll, I'll say it later when the microphone is off because I think that'll be just too rude. I think you should say it. Oh, uh, do you remember when was it? I think okay. Since you, oh, it's on you, Bridget. If, <laughs> if this goes, I, I will take all the blame. Do you see the one thing that I really enjoyed about Age was because obviously the audience participation, and I only ever went there as an audience member, so you know. And I remember there was this one scene, I can't remember, but it was with Sean Crofton and James McMillan. Yes. I think it was the very first time I watched the show, your, your season of Edge. And I think there were, there were two brothers. The scene was two brothers. Yes. And the scene was about their, I believe, that was it their mother that died? Or close family relative died? Yes. So the scene was Benny Bove by Vijarajan. And it is about cleaning out a family home or a mother's home after she's passed away and the complications and emotions and responsibilities that come with that. So the scene was only four pages, so that runs at about five to six minutes, depending on how much physicality you put into the work. But those boys really yes. they had a lot of fun with it and they found an incredible amount of room to play in all of the different forms and in fact I think that was one of our most successful nights in a lot of regards it was probably the the night where we really first 
clicked into what Edge was. Yeah. We didn't have a preview of the show. We, we, our opening night was the first time we'd put the work up. And I think that was a little bit tricky because we really should have had the opening night as a preview as mm. opposed to like a, you know, a fully yeah. realized work. But by the time we got to, to James and Sean's night, that was night three, mm. we'd really got what Edge was about. And I think it was because there was a couple. There's a couple of rounds like you do see the same scene about. I think it was the fourth time, and you're starting to invite the audience in to create the given circumstances. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, we started to explore the blood, uh, the blooders, of uh, the brothers' relationship. And someone suggested incest. A fellow suggested incest. Incest came up on a number of nights. I don't know why, <laughs> but. I think people are really intrigued by breaking the rules of society in such a complete way because it, I think over a 10 week season, um, the idea of incest or um, very close family members having some kind of romantic engagement, it came up about three times. But yeah, that was the first night that it really came to fruition and it was really fun to explore it, though. It was really fun. And I remember you asking, so how, how long, or something about, so okay, incest. Okay, that's interesting. Let's go with incest. How long how like have me. they been exploring this incest? Like, what have they, you know, are they really into it for a couple of years? And then I go, they've had a taste. <laughs> they've had a taste. <laughs> and they want more. Oh, I didn't add that, but... That's good yeah. though. Fresh young love. Fresh. The love of brothers. I mean, it's just so at the surface of who we are as humans to explore those relationships and those feelings. And why not? I mean, it's controversial, but if we're all in the room feeling permissive to explore that and to see what that is and and no one's being put at any any risk, yeah. then you know why, why not look at it? It was fun. It was definitely fun. But see, that's it was totally a safe environment. I don't know, it's very interesting. It's in the light where you can see the darkness of everyone's, you know, deepest, darkest thoughts and desires and personality just come out in the light. It's really funny collecting because during Edge you, you have a little notepad and a, and a mm. pen and you do use these for some things but also you have just a few pieces of paper where you can make your own notes. And a lot of people leave their notes behind the show. And I really enjoy that yeah. because you do get to see what's going on in people's minds. And I've got all the notes still. I don't, I don't oh. know if people realise that I would have kept them, but I've kept <laughs> everything. And I, I, some people, you know, a lot of people draw. They, they get images while work is being created oh. and they do drawings. So I've got an incredible amount of drawings. Some people make notes and have ideas and you see suggestions that they never said or suggestions that didn't get picked up. Yeah. And a lot of people draw penises. Right. <laughs> Why? Okay, fair enough. I, I, don't, I don't pretend <laughs> to understand it, but I, ha I have the evidence. Unless it was just oh. one person that came a lot of times and drew a lot of different penises, but I'm pretty sure... Universally, there's a bit of a, a fascination with with the penis during whatever kind of thing, because not all of our work 
had it had anything to do with penises, but a few of a few of them have been drawn more than I expected. What I don't want to talk about penises, but were they drawn? <laughs> like, was it like was it did, okay? When you're looking at these uh, these images, mm -hmm. do you think okay they have taken time to to draw this image, or was it just a quick doodle? <laughs> <laughs> Some of them are different. One of them was clearly a friend of the performers, and they ah, had okay. they had drawn a penis and like written some things about their friend on under the work as kind of a a, a teasing, and it felt really f like a good friend teasing yeah. their their close friend. Some of the penises were like little characters in in the scene, so they were they were placed in the world of the story, and um, you know they weren't. There weren't, it's not like there were penises every night, but they, you know, every time one came up, I was always like, oh, that's, someone's had time to think about a, a cock. Another one for the collection. And exactly. <laughs> and I feel like this could No be... vaginas. No vaginas. Ah! Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Um, well, you know what's really interesting that I found? Because I've just recently joined Instagram. Social media I want to talk about in a couple of minutes time. I find it really interesting, like there are some friends of mine who, I think that's, I, I'm, not, I'm ignorant. They publish images like drawings of vaginas and women. And, and that, I'm thinking, it's interesting, it makes me think. I, I'm, obviously I want to ask the question, why do they publish these drawings, these very detailed and wonderful drawings? I don't know, it's just, it's just interesting. I've just noticed that a lot in Instagram and all my friends have been publishing, you know. You might have to interview them. Figure okay. it out. I have to figure out. I'm going to send them messages. It's like... Okay, since since we're talking... Since I jumped the gun on social media... My favourite topic. Last year, you raised in an interview with RTR mm -hmm. that social media became a very important tool. I'm not quoting... You You, you mentioned uh, became, became a very important tool for you to use to contact Perth's artists. Yes. This was during Edge... And you came back from the East, and you're in WA, and you're trying to contact people. And like you created the Facebook page, Edge. And that's how I, because I remember Tim Green, he, he was sharing it on our Facebook group for the BPAs. And I thought, oh, they're um, looking for writers, looking for actors and whatnot. I thought, oh, that was very, very interesting. It's, it's like a fire. Do you worry that social media creates too many distractions? I should not be the voice of social media mm. in any regard because I struggle to engage with it. I really, really used social media for Edge, especially to get in contact with performers and, and, and contact artists in general. People that I'd seen but never met, I just went out on a limb and first attempted to friend them and then if I didn't get a friending back... Mm. I would just cold message them and see if I got a response that way. And I would say I had a 95% success rate in getting in contact with whoever I wanted through Facebook messages. And um, that was a really, yeah, really powerful tool. But I, who I am does not fit with social media. Mm. And I discipline myself to do social media during project times but you may notice that currently the blank space productions facebook page is completely 
hibernating. It's mm. it, there's nothing new on there. That's not good. It, there should be, and as the creative director of the company, I I should be making sure that we have content kind of going up pretty consistently just to keep our, our presence alive. But it really zaps me creatively and mm. I find it incredibly draining and it is the last thing that I want to do with my day and so I don't know how to navigate that and I continuously streamline my life to kind of fit better processes in but I have not figured out how to fit social media into my healthy day-to-day -day existence yet so yeah work in progress don't have all the answers I find it like, yeah, like pub, um, promoting this this podcast, this little pet project of mine. Yeah, I've been using, you know, my personal Facebook account and that's how I've been contacting these people to interview and befriending them. I just, yeah, in a way it's scary. But then in a way, how'd you do this in the 90s? How would you do this in the 80s? You know, where there was no internet, where, well, obviously there would be... I think it's a different time. We don't have as much time in our lives now. There is, yes, so much more noise and a lot of distraction that comes from being online. Even I, who like I'm a person that in general doesn't use Facebook or, you know, like connected services all the time. I don't need to be in constant communication with people. It's not important to me that I'm acknowledged like that often. But still, if I have a spare moment, I'll check my phone. And that's a really annoying habit to mm. me. So I think, you know, in the 90s, if people got in contact, we didn't have as much filling our brains. I mean, I, you know, like I can't talk. I was three when the 90s happened. and uh, <laughs> but, but at yeah. the same time, I do know that even 10 years ago, when I was yeah. 20, I had more space in my in my day for just people the people in front of me and that's that's changing but we do have access to more people and more relationships but then it becomes about how how do you limit what you do so that you can mm. create things of real quality and and consideration and um research and you know what is what is missing when we produce too much and you know what's the balance we're toddlers when it comes to technology we you know we've got it but i don't think we really understand how it works best for us yet and i i don't know if in our lifetime where we're going to see a resolution of that or if it's going to spiral out of control or you know if we're going to get more overload or if we're going to pull back from the amount of information we receive I'm I'm intrigued about it though. See, one thing I wrote uh, the other day, I don't know because see the way I, I do feel like Facebook. I think posting like a, a sentence at least once a day. I don't know. I like see I like Facebook because you can publish. It's all the own pin, printing press. You know, you can publish your thoughts and share it with the world. But I wrote the other day just a thingy. I feel like technology is not empathetic. Obviously, it's not. But wouldn't it be interesting when the day comes when technology uh, becomes empathetic? Mm, or I'm, scary. I see. I'd be very scared because I'm like, or can it ever be empathetic? You know, with you know, artificial intelligence. Well, um, I guess the original idea from um, wow, I'm I'm not going to remember his name. The man who invented the like original 
binary computer system during the... Uh, anyway, man. he wanted to create an empathetic computer and that was his main goal and idea? Or, oh. I don't know. I, obviously, there's a lot of people who'll know a lot more about him than I will, seeing as I can't even remember his name. But I really hope it never happens because mm. with that kind of empathy also comes judgment mm. you need to make a judgment to decide whether you feel empathetically about something and and that takes away an element of privacy and freedom and once you have an empathetic computer system do you also have an obligation to that computer system could you imagine if my email felt upset if i didn't check it for a week it would make my life a nightmare That'd be horrible. Another thing you have to contend with. So in some things, yeah, technology is good. Technology's wonderful. It's I, I'm just glad that there are limitations to it still. Can you see any problems in regards to theatrical festivals? What kinds of festivals are you talking about? Fringe World Festival. <laughs> Specifically Fringe World? Fringe. <laughs> but I don't know. It's just like with the line outside. Mm. Did you have a good experience? Like, Well, obviously it was nominated for a Martin Sims Award. It was a wonderful experience making that show and I was really fortunate to have the space to take a little bit more time off. I really reduced the amount of work that I was during, doing during that two months, well almost three months really of rehearsal and, and pre-production and then production. So I, I managed to create a really steady routine for myself during that time and again the word discipline is going to come up but I had a really structured outlook to my to my day and my rehearsal planning my note-taking I made sure that I had time for those things in my day before I did other things and I didn't watch anything that I didn't need to watch until mm. Alone Outside was in production. There were things that I needed to see that my you know, my friends work and shows that I'd been recommended really not to miss. But once Alone Outside had gone up, I was basically seeing three shows a night. And mm. in the two weeks that I really had left of Fringe at that point, I experienced pretty heavy burnout just from consuming so much theatre and being so social and extroverted for for that period of time. And if my show had been in the first week, I I think that artistically I could have got myself into some hot water because you are putting out much more than you can take in mm. or putting so much information into your brain that you can't really process it and what it means for you as, you know, a person engaging with it and as a person that makes their own work. So I, I think Fringe is wonderful, and my experience of Fringe has been wonderful, but I, I did have a show at the Blue Room, mm. and that's a very supported venue. I also was working with Maiden Voyage Theatre Company, and Liz Newell, who wrote and produced that piece, she co-produced with, with Katie, who did a wonderful job. But her, she runs a very tight ship, and I didn't have to do a lot of other stuff on the side. So I had a great experience. The reason why I also asked that question is, and you, you raise it, there is a lot to see and a lot to watch. 
Also, can I just point that working with Joe Morris is also a dream? Oh. So, so I, I kind of left her out of that, but she's also a great deal of why my experience of of Fringe was wonderful as well because it was just the two of us in a rehearsal room and she has a wonderful focus as a performer and really brings whatever she has to a room and is interested in getting getting work done and you know everyone has their little moments where focus drops but both of us are very focused and so every time that focus waned one of us would pick it up again very shortly and we really had a great time making the work together so I, I didn't want to leave her out of my little mentions. I have to ask this question then. Like, in your opinion, what particular quality is needed to be a professional, good performer? So you said focus. Yeah. I, I mean, this has to be from my opinion hmm. because I see a lot of people doing really exciting things that do them in very different ways to me. I think focus is incredibly important and possibly your, you know, the groundwork of developing all other skills ne- necessary to our craft. And for me, if if I'm in a room full of people who know when it's work time, and, uh, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that we, you know, we shut things down and just get on with the job. It means that we keep our eyes open and our heads up and connected to each other. But that's the job. The job is to stay connected to each other and to not drop out of what that connection is. And if you can have that and maintain that and let that grow, then the skills build from there. I think there's lots of good ways to make work. But yeah, focus is big for me. I think that's fairly universal, but I've seen people play a lot of wild games and make a lot of really interesting decisions and the humour and kind of outward distractions somehow feed back into their work and they come up with stuff that probably I would never think of because I'm focused and, Mm. and those little extra bits aren't coming in from the side because the work is kind of more contained in a realm for me where the room and the the movement of the room is is important to my practice. So is there one answer? I don't no. think so. I think it's a multiple, like there are several qualities. And I just focus is just an interesting we tend to forget <laughs> with focus because living in an age of social media and especially if you're doing like a co op show, there's yeah, you're just a yeah, you're a performer at a co op show, but there are many things like you have to help with administration, business, advertising, you know? You get you get lost. Mm. I the rehearsal room is a very special place for me and if I have a rehearsal I I have a a kind of series of preparations to take me into that whether the rehearsal's for an hour or whether it's for half a day or a full day it doesn't really matter like I I have a breakfast routine I have a yoga routine they happen in the opposite order. I have a note-making routine and those three things come before any rehearsal. And then I feel ready to navigate where other people are at in their day. Mm. And essentially, I see my role as one of finding, helping a room to find a place to meet. And so I need that for my practice. And um, I'm more than anything, I'm good at maintaining that personal practice to get me ready for a room but who knows who knows what 
I gain or miss from that. I think I'm still such um, a new artist in finding really what works for me and I'm still exploring different genres of theatre and different ways of making work and work that I enjoy that I think hearing my own thoughts on this in 10 years will be really interesting because I'm sure I'll have a much clearer idea or maybe I won't, who knows. Absolutely. Well, actually, with that gonk, um, I have to say we are recording at a wonderful, wonderful location and I, I really like the birds because I could <laughs> hear some birds, but we have run out of time. Before you go, there's a sign-off question that I have to ask as per tradition of the Perthian Chronicles that you may or may not be aware. Hopefully in the year 2027, when we meet again to recap this conversation of penises and incest <laughs> and social media. That's what it's and been focus. mainly about, is focuses, f focus on, focus <laughs> on genitalia. And genitalia. Yeah. So Bridget, I don't know, we might be in Melbourne, we might be in Perth, we might be in Europe, who knows, wherever we shall meet and take this time. But Bridget, in the year 2027, what would you like to plug? Now, when I say plug, would you like to plug, I don't know, like an autobiography, a play? Oh, man. That is a really interesting question. Let me just clarify here. Yes, You're is. asking me to imagine <laughs> what my artistic practice might be in 10 years' time. Yeah. So, this is like a, a little wishing well of yeah. sorts. This, I don't know, this this could be magic, <laughs> this microphone and this situation, I don't know, it could come true. This is something that I really struggle with doing because mm. even though as a not, not a very superstitious person, I feel like Jinx is a really incredible okay. force and I really, really <laughs> struggle to, no. to voice my biggest dreams because I feel like as soon as they're out there... Unless I'm working on it now, I feel like it has a danger in 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 saying them. Also, I have no idea. I, I'm really intrigued about ex exploring movement right now and and am doing some research, physical research work with dancers. So let's let's imagine. I'll I'll, I'll go there, but okay. I'm kind of I'm trying to be a bit linear about it, just because uh, mm. I I don't want to. I really don't want to jinx anything. No. Far out. You, you've exposed. You've exposed my um, probably my only neuroses, Ryan. Good job. <laughs> uh, okay. So let's imagine that I am making a really exciting physical theatre piece with actors mm. and dancers, which I hope to be performed on a really large space i don't necessarily feel attached to that being a stage but um i want room i want to be given room and i would like budget to do something really really exciting with the space and have time to make it fantastic and everyone's going to get paid well bridget thank you very much for being on the chronicles today thank you very much for having me